This is Gillian, thank you. Um, I'm going to start by reading um, the passage of scripture I was given. It's quite a long passage, um, but um, I refer to all of it. Don't worry, I don't go on forever. Um, <clears throat> I refer to all of it in my um, talk. So, And I have brought my reading glasses, so I'm going to stand back. <laughs> um, so this is Acts chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 42, which I think is the whole chapter. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. <clears throat> now, there were saying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. <clears throat> when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? <clears throat> practiced. <clears throat> Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. <clears throat> when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will, will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his messages were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to, the number, to their number that day. I think I'll stop there, actually, because I think that's as far as I... There's, there's about three verses left. <clears throat> so I'm going to give us um, even more on top of that, more uh, scripture. Um, so if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 7... It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Completely missing the point. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we've just written, I've just read from there, had been promised only a few days before. Sitting all together in one house, the disciples were being obedient, waiting as God, as, as Jesus had told them to wait. I wonder if they were impatient, confused, depressed when nothing seemed to be happening, 
Or were they just waiting for the Lord to appear to them again? I don't know how they were feeling, but one thing we can be certain of is that what happens at the beginning of Acts 2 was a complete surprise to them. It must have made them spill out of the house in shock because they start off in the house waiting when the tongues of fire come on them. And then later on, they're heard by many, many visitors to Jerusalem. So obviously, they'd rushed out of the house in exuberance. So there's a lot in that scripture, but I've picked out three things that we can take from it. Firstly, when the Holy Spirit comes, we can't really predict what will happen. Um, in their case, they started speaking in other tongues, and that these days is what we think of as for private worship. But there, they were speaking out in the open, and people understood them. So the question I asked myself was, does this happen today? And if it happened then, you can be sure that it does. Um, I've, I, can, I know of two instances. Um, does anybody remember Jean Darnell? Anybody heard of Jean Darnell? Yeah, she was quite a big mover and shaker at the start of the charismatic movement. I've heard her speak a couple of times. And um, she was talking, um, she'd been somewhere where the Holy Spirit had fallen in a big way. I think it might have been Toronto. Do you remember when the Toronto blessing was about? Um, so she entered the room where she was due to speak. And sitting in the corner was a man who was grunting like an animal. And she went towards him because she thought he, he was possessed by an evil spirit. So she was going to go cast it out. But before she got to him, another man of African descent ran to this guy and threw his arms around him. And was, his face was streaming with tears. The grunting had been a very obscure African dialect and the man had been speaking about salvation and the love of Jesus Christ. The other instance was when I was at a conference and I had a word in tongues which I brought in the middle of the meeting. <clears throat> um, when you bring a word in tongues in a meeting, it's important that there's an interpretation so that people don't think that you are drunk or mad. Um, but the leader of that particular conference didn't understand that, and she gave no opportunity for an interpretation. But afterwards, a woman came up to me, and she said, you were speaking Hebrew. Now, I will promise you, I cannot speak Hebrew. But she told me I was speaking Hebrew, and she gave me the interpretation or translation, if you like. So if this all sounds a bit weird and wonderful, um, the other thing I can tell you is that God doesn't go against our own will. So when the Holy Spirit falls, he will not um, bring anything that we're unwilling to have, if you understand me. You know, if we are not willing to speak in tongues in the middle of a meeting, then he won't give us it. You know, he doesn't go against our will. There's no need to be afraid of what he will do. Um, we can ask him for faith and courage to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. My second point, uh, this feels like it's a bit rambly, but I hope you're following me okay. My second point is that when the Holy Spirit is at work, particularly where there are non-Christians, we need to be alert to what opportunities we have. 
And the example in that scripture is what Peter did when people attacked him and accused him and the others of being drunk. He took what they shouted at him and turned it into a sermon. We are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He would work at night in his previous life. There's no doubt he probably was sometimes drunk in the morning. He would have come and, to relax, you know. Um, so <laughs> that made me smile a bit. It's only nine in the morning. I love, I love this scripture. We're not drunk. <laughs> it's too early. <clears throat> Um, so how can we use um, things that are thrown at us? If someone ridicules you at work for being a Christian or dismisses Christianity as a fable, what can you say? Well, firstly, you can ask God to give you the words. But it only needs to be something simple like, with all that's happening in the world, I don't know how people manage without him. I don't understand how people manage without Jesus. He's like an anchor in the storm for me. Um, or, you know, I understand that you think it's stupid. That's your choice. But there are millions of people in the world who disagree with you, and I'm one of them. You might even be brave enough to tell them why you disagree with them. And remember that people can argue theology, um, and will, <laughs> um, but Something that can't be argued with is your personal testimony. This is what happened to me. This is what Jesus has done for me. I can't speak about other people. I can't tell you why, but this is what Jesus has done for me. Um, my third um, thing that I looked at was prophecy. Um, prophecy sometimes sounds very grandiose to us, doesn't it? That's for somebody else, not for me. But God says that in the last days, and we can infer from Scripture that we are in the last days because the disciples themselves said they were in the last days. So um, God says in the last days he will pour out his spirit on all people and they will prophesy, both men and women. So all that prophecy is, um, is speaking out what's on the heart of God. That's all that that means. So you can have a prophet to the nation, someone like Clifford Hill, if any of you remember him. Um, Clifford Hill speaks out, he speaks to the movers and shakers in, in the nations and quite often um, brings words of warning that are on God heart, God's heart and um, that they can be quite hard to hear. Or you can have a prophet that's a quiet little old lady who prays... Um, and will speak God's heart into a single person's life, one-to-one. -one. When Jonathan or Eleanor or Andy get up here to speak, um, when they speak out a sermon that lights your fire or speaks directly into your heart or into a situation in the church, they're, they're prophesying. They're speaking out what is in the heart of God. Um, and that comes with a proviso that we do need to weigh and test whatever is brought. Even if it's brought from the front, you have to weigh and test against what you know about Scripture and what God is speaking into your heart. 1 John, uh, 1 John 4 verse 1, um, this is the message translation. It says, my dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. 
carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. People are people and can make mistakes. Or perhaps that word that someone brought in a sermon that you thought was, mm, I'm not sure about that. Perhaps that was for someone else, not for you. So you weigh and test. You don't take everything. It's like the supermarket. You take what you need at the time. So I'm going to wind up very shortly now. Um, I've said here, let's get rid of some misconceptions. <laughs> I don't know whether I really need to say that. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a he, not an it. He is the Spirit of God through Jesus, the part of the Trinity that lives in us and directs our lives. I once had a friend who said she believed in Jesus and she believed in God, but she would not let the Holy Spirit anywhere near her. She wouldn't allow him in her life. And she was fine for a while. She attended church quite regularly. She was a mover and shaker. And after a while, um, she ended up in a wacky women-only church um, where the leader was really quite controlling. And she went completely off the rails. She abandoned her lovely husband of 12 years and her children um, to go and find herself and ended up in a relationship with a woman. Her 12 years of contented marriage were down the drain and her new relationship only lasted a year. Um, she still professes Jesus, but still won't allow the Holy Spirit anywhere near her life. So the reason I'm telling you that is because we have to allow the Holy Spirit in for us to be more and more like Jesus, to be able to cope with things like, oh goodness me, she didn't have the discernment to see that the woman who was leading the church was a, an extremely controlling person and that she needed to be out from under there. <clears throat> I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it, it did to me. So he's the part of God that directs our lives, helps us grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. Um, and if we reject him, we're not living the way that Jesus wants us to live. If you have the Holy Spirit prayed into you, you may experience tingling or warmth or tears or joy, but you may also experience nothing much, maybe a sense of peace. Maybe as you lie down to sleep, you find yourself speaking in tongues, or maybe it's just a sense of almost like having eaten a good meal, being full, if you like. Maybe just a stronger sense of contentment or of God being near or in your life. Even if you don't feel anything, we can take on faith that Jesus um, has answered your prayer to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do now, with permission, <laughs> I just want you to be sure that we, we have the oversight from the church, is we are going to give opportunity for you to come up here, um, be anointed with oil, and we will pray for the Holy Spirit to refresh you. Um, Miss Caroline's going to come and help me. So I don't know if we have some gentle music we can put on. I forgot to ask you, Anne, Annie. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, so I'm going to pray a prayer before we start. And then if you just come up and we'll just 